Hello, and welcome to the Running Hook Podcast, hosted by Alex Burr, a member of the Running Hook Podcast Network. of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour, except the Dylan part of this equation might not be there much longer because he's big-time author man, Dylan Hughes. Dylan, you've got a book. I do have a book. You know, you got to – you can only – just as we're just saying, you can only do so much NBA. Got to diversify myself a bit. So, yes, I am a published author. author and And was it self-published? Yes. So I didn't need any editorial control from anyone that knows what they're doing. But, hey, it's out there, and that's, that's all there is to it. And I already bought the book, so that's, you know, hopefully all five of those dollars are going in your pocket. You know, hopefully, fingers crossed. Sounds like you had some uh, some editing help from another one of the, the Running Hook family members, too, Zach Griffith. Yes, Zach Griffith was a great help, and he uh, – he helped me realize I was doing decent because there was a lot of positive reinforcement along the way. But yeah, man, he, I mean, it's not a long book, but it's longer than a regular article. You know, it was like 14,000 words. So shout out to him for helping. Cause he definitely was a huge help and, uh, and straightening some things out. And I don't know if you just said the name of the book already, but go ahead and say the name of the book. So that way people can know where to buy it and i know it's on amazon but anywhere else they can buy it too yeah it's it's exclusively amazon at the moment you know i had to cut a deal for amazon help them out a bit um maybe eventually spread things out but it's called from one young soul to another so you know if you're a young man like us with some some lack of direction in your life go ahead and peep that can just type you can type my name dylan hughes into amazon or the book title and it should pop up for you i mean i don't know about you dylan real quick aside we normally save these asides for before the show but i had someone at work tell me i looked like i was 30 and let me tell you (laughs) i i was insulted i was insulted i'm not gonna lie so maybe maybe i'm not so young maybe i look older you know i think it's a facial hair thing because i have a younger brother that he doesn't currently have much facial hair because he's in the military. But before that, this dude was a lumberjack. And a lot of people thought he was the older brother. So I think it just comes with the facial hair. As we said, we are going to do our three teams in review. But first, we have some injury news to get a hold of. Um, so let's start with the most recent news. And that's that TJ Warren. Um, he appears to – I tell you know the injury probably – I don't know the injury off the top of my head, and I'm not going to bullshit it. <laughs> well, I think the injury was that he's getting a stress fracture in his foot repaired, um, which is pretty worrisome because he had problems. Like they said last in the bubble, he was playing through plantar fasciitis in his foot. Um, and like the thing about plantar fasciitis is it doesn't really go away. So, you know. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that he's getting worked on. Maybe maybe it'll help it. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's good for the Pacers and for him that he's getting it out of the way now. They didn't give a timetable when he's going to come back. They just said he's out indefinitely, which usually means two months. 
or more. So not great. Um, but you know, it is what it is and it's not really a surprise. Yeah, poor TJ, man. Like he honestly now I hadn't I'm not gonna lie to you and say that I'd watch the Pacers game this season because I frankly haven't had time yet and I will when I get more time. But going off of the bubble performance and even acknowledging that that was going to be impossible to live up to, it's like he has so much potential. And it's honestly, you know, hopefully he can recover from this because you're right about plantar fasciitis. You're talking to someone who has suffered from plantar fasciitis before. It's a bitch in uh, in medical terms. That's what they call it. They say it's a bitch. (laughs) So, I mean, it really hurts really bad. And I can't imagine playing like the the fact that he was able to put up those numbers while playing with plantar fasciitis good on him because it hurts like really bad like for those of you that don't because the pain is really dylan have you ever had plantar fasciitis by chance i have not so imagine like the inside of your foot right like you can feel the tendon and every time you step on it it just is a throbbing pain right Mm. and just that's what you're playing through (laughs) and it hurts and I'm glad that I'm able to have this like experience to like actually articulate how much pain he must have been in the the whole bubble time. And if he if he can fix the plantar fasciitis, great. But like you said, it doesn't just go away. Mine is mostly gone, but sometimes still, if I stand for too long, or you know, my first couple months at work when I wasn't wearing the right kind of insoles, I it came back and it hurts. It hurts to walk. So I hope I hope he gets better. Um, Let's move on to Spencer Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie appears to have torn his ACL, or at least part of it, and he's going to miss the remainder of this season. And Dylan, how big of a loss do you think that is for the Brooklyn Nets? Man, I think it's huge. Like that, he was going. He was going to be in a perfect role. Like, because the thing about Dinwiddie is, I think he's like. He's kind of somewhere in the middle of being a starting guard and a backup guard, you know? Like, he's he's going to be – I don't want to say an underwhelming starter because the dude puts points up, but, like, you know, he's going to hurt you on defense. But, like, he's also at the same time better than most backup guards in the league, if not all of them. I mean, again, the dude puts up points. Like, he, he can score uh, with the best of them. And, like – Having having him and Kem or uh, Kyrie as your two guards is like a great place to be in, and I mean the Nets have a pretty good bench. Like you have Karis LeVert coming off the bench too, and like for the Nets to be able to bench their two best players and then have Dinwiddie and LeVert come on, like you're not going to lose much. I mean, obviously there's a huge talent gap there, but like not many teams around the NBA have that kind of talent coming off their bench. Um, so losing Dinwiddie sucks because – and we know Kyrie's going to have injuries too. Like that's just how his career's been. And to be able to plug someone like Dinwiddie in his spot when he's out, you know, would be just really good for them. And losing him is going to hurt because, I mean, it's just – it's hard to replace a player like that. It really is. I mean, it's a huge loss for them just because – like, I mean, everything you said and it's like – so they had really a jack of all trades kind of offense, right? Because they had four good to elite scores in Kevin Durant, Lavert, Dinwiddie, and Kyrie, right? Now you lose one of those scores and you lose a guy that's a ball handler for you, which is a double the scorer part, you know, whatever, you can get a facsimile of points, right? From like maybe Joe Harris or something. 
but who's going to be the back? I'm, I don't know the Nets roster offhand, but who's going to be their backup point guard now? Because that's going to be challenging just a loss for them in terms of players who can take on that load off the bench. Like that was a, the good thing about their team was that they could, they had that replacement for Kyrie just on their bench. And now that they don't have that. So I think, I still think, and it's, I haven't watched the Nets much. I've been really busy this week. So I've only really focused on the teams that we're focusing on, but if Kevin Durant can play the way he's been playing, they're the favorites in the East. And I don't think losing Dinwiddie changes that, but I think it makes their road a lot harder. Yeah, I mean, as we discussed on our preview pod, like the only the only thing that I thought was holding them back was the fact that Durant was coming off that Achilles injury. And he just I mean, it doesn't look like he's lost a step and that, you know, it, it's still early. And once the body starts getting tired, maybe he starts showing some signs. But like, you know, as we've seen with Durant's teams over the years, like he is, he gives you an incredibly high floor at the very least. And having talent around him just makes it easier and easier. And, you know, as soon as those guys start falling out, it's going to be, it's going to be tough because again, like not to say that Kevin has had a huge injury past. I mean, he's had some big injuries, but with, with him and Kyrie, I mean, you need some stability around them because there's going to be something at some point, especially with Kyrie. And like that, that's the biggest problem is, is if Kyrie tweaks his knee at some point in the season, what happens? Because I, I just don't know who you can plug into that spot. And, and really, I mean, I think they have Tyler Johnson on the roster still. Yeah. They like have Tyler Johnson and Chris Chioza are their other point guards okay. on the roster. Chioza, Chioza is not bad. Like, he he plays a similar style to Dinwiddie, so he. I mean, he's obviously way worse, but it, it may it may be fine. Like if if they don't have to rely on either of those guys to start when Kyrie's out, you're probably okay. Um, but you know, it's it's still a huge huge loss. I don't think that the Nets are going to finish first in the East just because Katie and Kyrie are probably going to sit a lot of games for load management. Like we've already seen it a couple times this season. You know, they did it against the Grizzlies. They did it. Or did they do it against the Grizzlies? I know that they did it one game already. Yeah, they did it against someone, which I got mad because I, <laughs> it's funny. I like, I'm looking at a lot of these scores and I'm like, we're like in the third game of the season. How the hell are there already players sitting out? But you know, with, with that, with the nets, I guess it makes sense. Let's see. So they sat against the Grizzlies. Did they sit against the... No, they lost to the Hornets with full performances from <laughs> from Katie and Kyrie. And I guess Dinwiddie only played 15 minutes that game. But yeah, I don't think they'll finish first, but I think that as long as they can keep those two healthy for the playoffs, that's all that really matters in Levert. Because Levert's had injury history too. Yeah, I mean, Katie right. hasn't had as much of an injury history as Kyrie and Levert, but I mean, still, he's coming off an Achilles, and he's tall and he can shoot, so he has that. I think we'll we're gonna get into the Nets next week because that's gonna be one of the teams that we ch- that I chose actually, but we we'll get into the Nets more next week. But the last injury we wanted to touch on before we moved on to our our team analysis 
was John Morant on the Grizzlies. And I don't really have much to say about this injury other than the Grizzlies now are going to be in a shitty position once John gets back. Um, Cause I, he dislocated his wrist and I think he's going to be out for three to five weeks. <laughs> and in that time, unless Kyle Anderson can play like John Morant, <laughs> they're not going to win. And Dylan Hughes, I'll just ask you, is Kyle Anderson capable of playing like John Morant? <laughs> Um, I don't think so, but you know who is is Tyus Jones. I mean, oh yeah. I think Ty, if you've watched any Minnesota Tyus Jones, you know the dude's up for the challenge. So, I mean, obviously, same level of athleticism. Um, definitely doesn't just stand behind the arc and shoot open threes. That's definitely not his game. So, I think he could fill in quite fine. <laughs> the the Grizzlies are gonna suck. Let's just we're probably gonna wait to. Um, do the Grizzlies until after Ja gets back, and rightfully so, because there's no timetable on when Ja's going to be back. I still have not heard anything about Justice and Jaron. So the team is going to be... Isn't D'Anthony Melton out too? Yes. Yes, he is. So... Yeah, it's over for them. <laughs> it's over. No offense, Memphis, because, I mean, let's face it, we both love your team. I mean, Dylan and I are both probably two of the biggest Grizzlies fans that aren't in Memphis, but just try it. Like get, try to get one of the prospects in this year's draft. Um, just be incomprehensibly bad for the next, you know, three, five weeks, set yourself really far back in the lottery standings and just try to go from there. Like jaws good, but jaws not Dame yet. And we saw what Dame did last year, dragging the blazers to the AC. I, this is no, no offense to jaw whatsoever. I just don't think that John Morant is capable of that. I I just don't think he can do that, especially with this Grizzlies team. Yeah. I mean, they like half of the prospects we love are out. (laughs) It's tough. But like, again, man, if they get like a top seven pick somehow, God damn, that's a team like whoever, whoever they get. Cause I'm pretty sure next year's draft is supposed to be awesome. That's what they're saying. So whoever they get and, and you know, the lottery, like, I mean, you every year look at the Grizzlies. They had like, didn't they have like the ninth best odds when they got Jaw? Like they yeah. jumped up. They jumped up a bunch of spots to get that two seed. So you never know. I mean, they they could get lucky and end up jumping back into that top three. So you know, I, I think this would be a good year because the West is is even more loaded than usual, and it was going to be tough for them to make the playoffs either way. So this would be a good year for them to kind of just you know figure some things out with these young guys. And just get another great prospect going forward. Yeah, because I, I mean, the Grizzlies without Jaw to me are undoubtedly one of the worst seven teams in basketball. Absolutely, I don't think I can think of very many teams that are worse without Jaw. Like Jaw Morant to me was the difference between them finishing like close to play-in game potential and absolute top of the lottery potential. Like that, that was literally the difference because ja, Jaron was hurt. Again, we don't know when Jaron's coming back. So I would just kind of take it easy with those guys, especially because you don't want, like, Jaw's going to want to play at some point, but maybe stretch the injury out for like two months <laughs> rather than five weeks. But let's go ahead in the interest of time, because I think we've already spent 15 minutes on the preamble. Let's go ahead and move on to our teams for the week. So, Dylan, I'll let you choose where you want to start. Do you want to start with the Wizards? Do you want to start with the Mavericks? Or do you want to start with the Suns? You know, 
I, I'll say I want to save the Suns for last because they're the only team that I like. Well, the Mavericks are just like every other game, something new. So let's, and, let's start with the Mavericks then. Let's start with the Mavericks then. Okay. And then we'll save the we'll save the Suns for last, and we'll talk about the Wizards next. So again, in case you need a reminder, even though I literally just said the teams, this week we went in depth on the the Mavericks, the Wizards, and the Suns, and it was it was an experience, Dylan Hughes. It was it was an experience. <laughs> so the Mavericks <laughs> had themselves a week. Um, opening day, they actually lost to our Phoenix Suns by four. Then they lost to the Lakers by twenty three. Okay, not not bad. Um, then on December 27th, <laughs> they beat the Los Angeles Clippers 124 to 73. Just absolute shit kicking. They've led 77 to 27 at halftime. I think I saw something that if the Mavericks didn't score in the entire second half, they would have won that game by four. <laughs> Just <laughs> incredible. Then after three days off, they lose by 19 to the Charlotte Hornets in a game that felt like a it felt like a bigger deficit while I was watching it. And I know you said you didn't watch that one, and I don't really blame you because that was just a shit show. Um, Dylan, do you have any grand takeaways about the Mavericks, or is it just too early in the season for that Chris app? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the hell is going on with them. Like, so you know, you watch the Suns game. And that game was kind of weird because both teams were really not really doing much on offense. Like, I mean, for them to score below 110 points each, I mean, we know those teams could both easily surpass that. Like, it was just – there was turnovers. It was sloppy the first game of the season. So, it was understandable. Um, But, like, I don't know. I mean, there's just – Without Chris Dapps, it's just hard to see the whole picture. And, you know, losing to the Lakers is one thing. Losing to the Hornets, I mean, so you look at the stat sheet here, and LaMelo Ball shoots 7 of 10. This dude was shooting terribly up until that point. And I watched the highlights of this game, and he was just getting wide open threes from like 35 feet and hitting them. So there's only so much you could do about that. Um, Miles Bridges getting 16 rebounds is pretty interesting. <laughs> Didn't ever think that would happen for him. But I don't know. I mean, this was also a game where where Doncic and Josh Richardson were combined 5 of 20. So, you know, it's <sighs> – I do, I do want to talk about Josh Richardson and Tim Hardaway, like – their top three scoring options, Sands, Chris Dapps, are pretty damn good. Like, I really like watching Tim Hardaway. I mean, that dude, he knows his game. Like, he he's a really, really solid scorer. And I really have enjoyed watching him. Ever since he's gone to Dallas, I think he's been a great fit. And I was a little worried that him and Josh Richardson would clash a little bit because, I mean, there's only so much the ball can go around. And Luca has the ball so much where, you know, for these other guys, it's just tough. Um, but Josh Richardson, aside from that Hornets game, has played pretty well, which, you know, we've talked about that trade, like Seth Curry. And and Seth Curry's played pretty well for Philly, so shout out to them for that. But Josh Richardson is is really good, and he's, he's fitting in pretty well despite having those two ball handlers there. So – 
I, I just think it's without, you know, without Chris Dapps, there's, it's tough. I mean, Dwight Powell and Maxi Cleva, as much as I love them, can only do so much for you. So, okay. I have a take, and this isn't, this isn't only about the Mavericks, but it applies to the Mavericks. Okay. Are you ready for this, Dylan? This is going to ready. So I texted you last night. I'm going to, I'm going to pull up the text because I just want you I want people to understand where I'm coming from. So I said, I think teams are playing too much small ball. And I didn't really elaborate much. But here's here's where I'm coming from, okay? The Mavericks are starting four small wings, right? Like, I mean, basically all their guys are like 6'7", like anywhere between two 215 and like 185, right? And I think that's a problem now. I think teams are are getting bigger, right? Not like... Maybe not like in terms of height, but they're getting bigger in terms of weight. And I think the Mavericks are too small. And I think when Porzingis gets back, one of those four, one of those three between Finney Smith, Hardaway Jr. and Richardson has got to go to the bench and they have to start Powell and Porzingis. I think that they're too damn small. And that's just something I couldn't get away from while I was watching them. Like even against Phoenix, Phoenix is a smaller team. And I thought Phoenix was out, like outclassing them on the glass. And I think that this is a trend across the league, right? Like, I don't think the Celtics are going to get away with what they got away with last year, right? The Rockets, obviously, they weren't going to get it. They didn't get away with it for longer than, like, eight games. But the Rockets aren't going to be able to do what they did last year. You know, the Clippers. I just – the Clippers might be able to get away with it because Kawhi's bigger. And Marcus Morris is bigger. Marcus Morris are the bigger guys. But, like, other than that, I just can't see it working. Like, I don't see it working anymore. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what I just said. <laughs> Well, first of all, I mean, Boban only played four minutes yesterday. That is part of the problem. I mean, you want to go big. That's how you go big right there. Oh, yeah. Forgive me. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, starting Finney Smith over Kleba, I don't know. Because, like, Kleba is small for a big man, but he can hold his own against anyone, really. Um but, I mean, what you're saying with, with Chris Stapps, I mean, I don't think Chris Stapps wants to be a center anyway. Right. So, I, I I would be surprised if they didn't go that way. So, this is what I've noticed, too. Like, so, I'm looking at the basketball reference page right now for the Mavericks, and they're allowing 10 offensive rebounds a game. And it's like, that's basically a quarter of the other team's rebounds is offensive rebounds. It's too much. It's too much, especially when you can't get those like Dorian Finney-Smith. Okay, Dorian Finney-Smith is a great offensive rebounder, and Dorian Finney-Smith is on the Alex Burr, you know, favorite role players list. Okay, including Mikael Bridges. I think if I could have a team with Dorian Finney-Smith and Mikael Bridges, I would die of joy. Right, <laughs> like those two. I love those two. They both have just like intangibles, great cutters, whatever, whatever. I just don't think Dorian Finney-Smith can cut it at the four, and I think we're like. You know, the Warriors had, you know, Harrison Barnes and Draymond. The thing that people forget about Harrison Barnes is that Harrison Barnes was a fucking tank. <laughs> like, Harrison Barnes was really strong. Like, that, obviously, it worked seamlessly with Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant was also fucking strong. But Harrison Barnes could handle fours. Like, that doesn't work. The small ball didn't work without, like, if you, like, who's a, like, random? Like, if you inserted, like, Courtney Lee, right? And obviously, Courtney Lee isn't as tall as Harrison Barnes. <laughs> But, like, if you inserted just, like, any random wing, it wasn't going to work. It only worked because of Harrison Barnes. And I think that's what people failed to realize, and they're like, oh, we could just stick any small forward at the four. No, you can't. 
<laughs> no, you can't. It's why CJ Miles played the four instead of Paul George. Paul George is not can't play four like that. He can play four on offense. Like I think you can have guys that can play four on offense, but they can't play four on defense. Like Brandon Ingram to me is like a perfect example of this, right? Like Brandon Ingram's best position is four on offense, but on defense, I don't think he's going to be able to handle that for his whole career. So I think it's going to be interesting to see where the NBA goes from here because now you're starting like an example of like a power forward that's coming back, like the new style of power forward. It's Christian, not Christian Wood, um, PJ Washington. We talked about PJ Washington a lot on all, our all rookie pod, but something I noticed watching that game yesterday was that PJ Washington and Miles Bridges were getting whatever the hell they wanted against the Mavericks on switches. Like they just had easy post ups all the time. And so, like, PJ Washington didn't finish with a lot of points, but he seemed to get whatever he wanted, right? And when PJ Washington is dominating you inside and Miles Bridges, like you said, 16 rebounds for Miles Bridges, it's way too much. So there's my Mavericks tangential related rant that they just need to start Chris Dabbs and Powell when they come back. And Powell's actually, I think Powell's looking pretty good, all things considered. I thought like just he's not rolling as much, but I like what he's doing, shooting the threes and you know, ch- trying to create some stuff on the dribble. I think he's actually playing pretty well, all things considered. Yeah, and, like, going back to the Golden State point, I mean, trying – it's been funny because a lot of teams try to copy the death lineup. It's like you do realize the death lineup contains two of the two of the best shooters ever, um, one of the best defensive players in the league – Andre Iguodala, who has just been a great defender his whole career. And then, like you said, Harrison Barnes, who is just huge. It's like you can't, you like if you're going to copy that, you need a similar style. You can't just bump players up positionally. And, and they had such an advantage offensively because you have Draymond handling the ball a lot and just passing to those shooters wide open. It's like, if you can't you can't take the style and not have the talent. Like it's it's not going to work that way. And like I understand the the league is is just shifting this way. But I think ever since Golden State started happening, we kind of knew there was going to be a breaking point where teams just stopped. Like they realized they were never going to be able to do that and started going big again. But as we also discussed via text, like bigs are changing now. So you can run a similar style offense, but still have the same sized guys out there. Like there's going to be a Joel Embiid sized shooter soon. You know, like you're going to be able to have a dominant post presence. I mean, shit, you could call cat that if you want. That's what I was going to say. Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah. I mean, cat is, is like, he's a center. Like there's no doubt about it, but the dude (laughs) is like damn near one of the best shooters in the league. I mean, he is an awesome three point shooter. Like, there's going to be more players like that. And there's a lot of them that do come out skinny. Like James Wiseman is pretty small. Um, so he's going to struggle defensively, but like there's going to be, there's going to be in like, you know, bull bull was another one, just so skinny, but the league is going to start getting populated with these guys where you don't have to go small. Cause you have all the size out there. They can just shoot and handle. And there's going to be a lot um, a lot more talent out of that position than what we've seen. Yeah, because all these guys are going to be growing up watching Steph, right? Like, that's the that's the thing, right? Like, you had all the people in Jordan and Kobe's generation, they're like, oh, I want to be like Jordan and Kobe, right? And then we saw, like, a lot of copycats. Like, 
the probably best example of that in the league right now is probably DeMar DeRozan, right? Like you watch DeMar DeRozan and I'm not saying he's Kobe Bryant, but you can see where he got a lot of his moves from. Like you can see the inspiration for that. LeBron is interesting because you can't do what LeBron does. <laughs> like you're like the thing about Jordan and Kobe was, is that even though they were incredibly athletic, they were still incredibly fundamental too. You could copy their games and that's why you can see that's why DeMar DeRozan can do his best Kobe Bryant imitation and get away with it because he is, you know, he's semi-athletic and he is incredibly fundamental. Go watch DeMar DeRozan's footwork, right? Um, you can't copy LeBron James because you don't have his IQ and you don't have his athleticism. So Steph Curry to me, like that's a guy guys can watch and be like, oh, I want to be Steph Curry. And they can bomb 30 foot threes off the dribble. Now, are they going to be able to do that in the NBA as well? Probably not. No. But I mean, I think we're going to see a lot of that. And there's no doubt that there's going to be some big men that are like that too. Yeah. And like another thing is, I think a lot of these guys could look at KD and be yeah. like, well, he's seven foot and can handle and shoot. Why can't I? You know? But the Steph Curry point, I mean, we all knew it, it, it's going to come. And like it kind of already is with, with uh, especially with LaMelo. I mean, that dude chucks. <laughs> like, that dude chucks from really far away. And I think he's going to do a lot of that his whole career. And, like, there's going to be guys every year that come up like that. So, you know, I I hope that we do get back to more of, like, the bigger style because I think it'd be even more fun to see a league where you have actual big men that are just more talented and modern because – Having these, you know, six foot six guys that weigh 180 pounds playing the four, it's just not, it's not fun from a defensive standpoint, at least. So let's get back to the, um, let's get back to the Mavericks. Although talking about the league wide trends is fun. And I, I'm glad we went on that tangent. But the Mavericks to me, so part of their problem is that Luca. So, okay, here's another, like, this isn't like a league related thing, but this is a Luca related thing that I noticed. And, I agree with your point generally that I like Richardson and I like Hardaway. But one of the things I noticed in that Hornets game was that they were just completely trapping Luca in the paint. They were having three guys guard him and they were just letting Richardson Hardaway, you know, whatever shoot from three. And it's like Hardaway. I'm kind of scared of from three, but the Richardson and Finney Smith, I'm not really like, if I'm being honest, I'm not really scared of. And that seemed to be the formula last night. And the Mavericks, I've at one point were eight for 30 from three. I don't know what they finished from three, but it was not, it was not pretty. So as a fan, right? Like they can't obviously pull that off with Chris Stapps on the floor. Cause Chris Stapps is actually a great shooter, but without Chris Stapps for Zingas, do you think that this is a viable strategy for teams to use against the Dallas Mavericks? Oh yeah. Like the thing about Luca is I feel like sometimes he gets into the paint, just thinking he's going to get his way. And then everything just collapses in on him. Like, and he does figure it out a lot of times, but I think I think some of his past success has kind of made him think he can just get to the pain figured out. And, like, I understand what he's doing because his three-point shot is still not really reliable. Um, and if he just – if he relies on his outside shot, he's not going to be as effective. So I understand what he's doing. But Josh Richardson, as much as I love him – his three-point shot is not reliable, and, like, I'm definitely going to let him shoot open threes and make him prove that he can make them. Um, 
you know, Finney Smith, I mean, I'm probably comfortable with him shooting open threes, but again, you don't want to rely on that too much. So, yeah, I think from a defensive standpoint, that's the way to go. But like, cause like without Chris Stapps, I mean, Chris Stapps getting wide open threes is a much different story. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the team they have right now, aside from Hardaway, it definitely is, you know, kind of hit or miss when it comes from three, even if they're wide open. So I pulled up the box score from last night. Okay. So their starters combined to shoot. So, okay. They made four threes and it looks like they shot 22 threes. So, um, not a math, I'm not a math guy, Dylan, but four of 22 is not what you want. And yeah, some of those are probably going to fall. Right. But even if it's eight for 22, You'd rather those 22 threes be taken than Lucas shoot in the lane all the time and Lucas shoot a bunch of free throws. And I don't, I could be wrong, but I feel like Luca has not been great on free throws to start the season either. So far, okay, so far he's shooting 80% on nine attempts a game, Jesus. But he was four for seven last night. And it's like, if he's not making shots in the paint and he's not more aggressive, because he only took 10 field goal attempts. So that means he only really shot 13 times. Or maybe four, 14 times, 14 times, because it's seven free throw times. But 14 times, even in 24 minutes, that's not enough. He has to be shooting 25 times a game. And I don't know if he's that skilled. Like, Luca's so good that we have to nitpick, right? <laughs> but I don't know if he's, like, that good enough yet where you can trust him to take 28 shots a game and lead an efficient offense. I don't, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, it's... It's tough without Chris Stapps because, like, I think a lot of these these dominant, like, ball handlers that are young especially, I think they get a little bit in over their head and, like, what they can do. And I don't know. Like, Chris Stapps, like, just opens up so much for them. That's why, that's why I'm so high on them, like, if he can stay healthy because, like, I still – even after the slow start, I still think with Chris Tapps, they have like a number one seed type of ceiling. Cause I mean, what we saw from those two last year was just so good. I mean, Chris Tapps was shooting incredibly. He was getting so many open threes and like, and when it comes to him, it, there's a lot of open threes cause he's seven foot. So like, even if he has, or he's seven three. So even if there's someone guarding him, <laughs> it could be like an open three. So I mean, it opens up everything when he when someone like that's on the floor, and Luca doing it on his own. I I do think at this point in his career, is as you know talented as he is, like it's gonna be, it, it is gonna be tough for him to lead an efficient offense. But I mean, he you know again, I still I like Richardson and Hardaway next to him, but they just gotta figure it out. I mean, I, part of the problem could be that, you know, fitting someone like Richardson into your offense is not easy. You know, it, it's if, – if there was just another shooter out there, it, it may look a little bit smoother right now. But, I mean, fitting someone like Richardson in is is not easy. So, I'll give Luke a little bit of a break with that in mind. Um, but, you know, it'll be something that we are, we're going to have to track. So real quick, because I think we said everything we want to say about the Mavericks, but I think real quick, just in the spirit of the podcast, I think we should give like a little bit, like maybe each a sentence about a player that like that's in their rotation. Right. And the rotation to me seems to be 
Hardaway, Richardson, Powell, Finney Smith, and Doncic is the starting lineup. Then off the bench, you got Kleber, Jalen Brunson, Trey Burke, James Johnson, and then Willie Cauley-Stein making a little bit of a resurgence. So mm-hmm. we already talked about the starters. So Maxi Kleba, you already touched on, but if you want to say anything else about Kleba. I mean, I feel weird, like, standing for Maxi Kleba. <laughs> but, like, I mean, just looking at last night, he was 4 of 5 from 3. And, like, as you mentioned, they were not good as a team. They were 12 of 42. So, he's – I mean, he's just that kind of guy. Like, he – I mean, he does only – he does two things really well. Like, he's a good perimeter defender. Well, I guess three. He's he's good at blocking shots, too. But he's a good perimeter defender, and he shoots threes. And that's, like th- – those are his two assets. And, like, on a healthy team with Chris Dapps, I mean, we saw in the playoffs last year, I've mentioned on the pod before, like, that dude guards, like, the best perimeter defender on the other team. Like, he's that he's that good. And, like, it, it does surprise me that they're starting Finney Smith over him because, I mean, Finney Smith was two of eight last night. Like, if, if I mean, you could technically go small with Kleber, with Kleba. So, right. I, I don't, I don't know why Carlisle went that direction, but, uh, after last night, you know, maybe they maybe they do stick Kleba back in the starting lineup. So my sentence for Kleba is that he should be starting over one of I so okay, I disagree. I would bench one of Hardaway or Richardson. And just because I feel like in the starting five you need like one guy that can, you know, create the shots, another guy that can semi create shots, right? Like if we're going like just off of the I don't know, like the Nets model, I think to me is good, right? Like even though they were starting Dinwiddie, I think the model of starting or like the, the Hawks model, right? Where they're starting Collins and Trey and they're starting Reddish and her or Reddish and Hunter between them starting Capella. Like, I think that's like one of the ways you got to do it in the NBA, right? Like you got to balance out your ball handlers because there's only one ball. And I think Richardson and Hardaway and Doncic all need the ball. So I would start Kleba over one of those two, probably over Richardson and let Richardson handle the second unit. But Kleba, like, Kleba's too good of a defender probably to be on the bench to begin with, <laughs> realistically. Like, I don't think it's a terrible idea to start Kleba and Chris Dapps and bring Powell off the bench. Like, when Chris Dapps comes back. But um, in the interest of brevity, Jalen Brinson and Trey Burke, I think, will handle at the same time. Um, I'll start on those two. I mean, they're fine backups. I mean, not really much else to say. Like, I like... If Trey Burke can do what he did in the bubble or like at least 75% of it, I think they're in a solid place. Yeah. And getting Brunson back was huge for them. Um, I don't want to say they needed him last year. Like he wasn't like a missing piece, but it would have been good for them to have him, even though Burke was so good. Um, But yeah, I mean, having two ball handlers on the floor at the same time, like that's what Carlisle does. Like he, that's why, that's why, um, like when they had Dennis Smith Jr. and Luca, he was comfortable with that. And it, it just turns out that Dennis Smith Jr. sucks. So that was what happened there. But like, that's the type of offense he wants to run. And that, and that's why I think, you know, it probably will be better for him to like put Richardson on the bench, for example. And as someone that was, that was pining for Philly to do that, uh, I won't, you won't see too much argument for me with that one. Um, but yeah, I mean Brunson is solid. Like he's he like he's really good at he he just knows his game. He knows his shot. 
he's a pretty good positional defender for his size. So um, it's good that he's back. But, you know, I mean, Burke was bad last night. He's That's just kind of how he is. Like, he's going to be hit or miss, I think. Um, but, yeah, like you said, if he, if he can be 70% of what he was, that'll be huge for them. James Johnson. I'll start with this one again. I'll, I actually legitimately only have one sentence of this. James Johnson is always better in theory than in practice. That's all I have. That's probably fair. I think when he was in Miami before he got paid, he was better than his self in theory. But, you know. That's that's the exception, not the rule. The, yeah. The, that's the exception. I mean, he, the thing about him is, like, he's an all-around player. Like, he can defend. He can pass. He can score a bit, rebound. I mean, you can't expect that much from him. I mean, so theoretically, right? Okay, because I didn't really want to get into James Johnson. Theoretically, he's a 3 and D guy, right? Yeah. But he doesn't make very many threes. He's only a 31% career three-point shooter. I mean, his defense is all right. But I mean, like, I could name 30 wings I'd rather have than James Johnson. And I like four of them on this team. <laughs> I mean, as the ninth man, I think he's fine as the ninth man. Yeah. As the ninth man will get cut out of the playoff rotation and he's good. He'll bring that toughness, which is always good, but he always ends up getting traded, right? Like he's been on, let's count teams. He's been on one, two, three. It's been on seven teams. This is his seventh team. So, I think that he's just probably going to continue to bounce around like maybe for a year or two more, and then he's going to probably retire. But I just, I think he's a lot better and he's always been a lot better in theory than in practice, except for the one year in Miami. I can't, I can't really dispute that, but okay. Then Willie Colley Stein, I, he dunks and fouls. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I have. Hey, five points, four fouls like that last night. That's pretty, pretty good. Uh, Ratio right there. Oh God, I don't. I don't want to talk if, about. If Willie you can Colley. get more points than fouls, that's a good night. It really. Yeah. Is. I mean, especially if you're Willie Colley Stein and you were once the sixth pick in the draft. God, that was a terrible draft. If you ever want to just look at a draft and say this is absolute garbage, go look at the 2015 draft. Josh Richardson is a top five player in that draft. I don't know. I don't know about that. Okay. God Please. damn it, Dylan. I'm sorry, but this. Well, first of all, before we get into this, I do want to say that I wanted the Pacers to get Willie Colleystein. Um You dodged a bullet there, Dylan Hughes. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I think Dan Burke would have turned him into a pretty damn good shot blocker. Um, but so you start off with the two Minnesota boys, Cat and D'Angelo Russell. Um, then obviously Jalil Okafor, who you know, it is what it is. Chris Stapps. Hazonia and Willie Colley Stein. Okay. It, it's not great. But listen, okay. Justice Winslow, solid. Miles Turner, solid. Devin Booker and Campaign, the future of Phoenix. Oh, yeah. And Kelly Oubre right after that, who was the past of Phoenix. Terry Rozier, who is like, can be the best player in the league on any given night, apparently. Like, <laughs> He'll just okay, randomly okay. drop like 40 points. <laughs> you know, some solid names here. <laughs> Tyus Jones, the future of Memphis. It falls off after that. Like, yeah. 
So Sean Holmes starting center, you know, Josh Richardson legitimately is one of like, is maybe the fifth best player in this draft. Yeah, you could probably make that argument. I would say he's okay. Look, okay, we don't have time to argue the 2015 draft. God damn it, I shouldn't have opened up this rabbit hole. This is this is my fault. <laughs> this is my fault. But a team that traded the 15th pick in that draft, the Washington Wizards. How'd you like that? How'd you like that transition? That was that, that was, was good, that was wonderful. That was a good transition. That was um, <laughs> who'd they trade him for? Half of a season of Trevor Ariza. Mm. But <laughs> God, the Wizards are a fucking joke. <laughs> Um, but now the Wizards are definitely a joke. They actually just about an hour and a half ago lost a barn burner to the Chicago Bulls, one thirty-three to thirty. They lost their other game to the Bulls this week. The Suns are the the Suns. The Wizards are an absolute tire fire. Um, they lost one one thirteen to one hundred seven on opening night to Philly. They they lost to Orlando one thirty to one twenty. Then they lost the next night to Orlando one twenty to one thirteen. And then they lost to Chicago 115-107. So right now they're 0-5. They have a they have a point differential of about minus eight. Um Dylan, did we make a good choice knocking the Wizards off of our list early? Oh god, yes. As I said. Okay. <laughs> There's something that's made me laugh that I'll get to in a second when I Googled Isaac Bonga. But um <laughs> I mean, the the first game between the Bulls and Wizards was legitimately one of the worst basketball games I've ever seen. Because, I mean, what? just two terrible teams. I mean, they're like, I like watching the Bulls because I like Kobe White a lot and I like watching him. But that game was just turnover, turnover, Westbrook doing something stupid, turnover. I mean, it was horrible. Like, the rest of the Wizards games I watched were palatable at least. But that game, that game was awful. And it kind of represents how to feel about them right now, as I believe they are 0-5 now. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're a horrible team. They're, they're a horrible team. And here, okay, Bradley Beal, I think on the right day, you could talk me into – him being in the top 15 in the league. I think he's fucking incredible. Okay. Like, and if, especially if he's trying on defense and Russ has unlocked like a level to his game, which is crazy to say, but like Russ and Bertans make Beal so much better. Right. The problem is Russ makes everyone else worse. (laughs) That's, that seems to be the issue to me. Right. And, I'm not willing to discount Russell Westbrook because we saw what happened last year, right? We literally wrote him off the first two months of the season. We said he sucked. We said he sucked. And then in February, he turned it around. Or like February, January, February, he turned it around for the last two months of the season. Then he sucked in the bubble, but he also had COVID and was recovering from a knee injury. So I'm not willing to write him off yet. And plus, he plays in the Eastern Conference. And so I'm just, I'm not willing to write off Westbrook yet. But the rest of the team, it's Okay. Denny Avdia, fine. Um, Davis Bertans shoots a lot. <laughs> he makes a lot of them too, but he's very streaky. Thomas Bryant is a fun offensive player. And I don't re- like Troy Brown. I can kind of see what's tantalizing about him, but I'm not really the biggest fan. 
And I don't like the rest of the roster. I think the rest of the team, frankly, sucks. Now, obviously, Rui's been hurt, was hurt most of the games. I don't think he played any of the games that we watched. I, you didn't see him, did you? No, he came back tonight. Yeah, that's right. He came back today. And I didn't even see him in that game. So we didn't see him, right? And he obviously should probably be a bigger part of their team coming back. And maybe that's on us for picking him, picking them in a week where one of their key players was missing. But their depth is horrible. Like (laughs) Ish Smith and Raul Neto are not it (laughs) for this team. And they played... Scott Brooks is such a terrible coach. Like truly, I okay. I don't know if their struggles are because the team sucks or if because Scott Brooks sucks or both. Because Scott Brooks was rolling out a Neto, Ish Smith, and Westbrook lineup. I don't even remember who the other two guys were, but like those three, why would you roll out those three? Like Neto's the only one that can even relatively shoot. And it's just horrible. Like, I understand staggering Beal and Westbrook, right? Like, he's he's amending a mistake that he made in Oklahoma City by never staggering Russ and Katie. But, man, this is not the way to do This is not the team to, to stagger them with. This is not that team. So, God, I don't even really want to talk about them, but we, we signed up for this. So, <laughs> anything else to add about the Wizards? I mean, having Westbrook and Ish Smith on the floor at the same time, that that's a crime it's awful and like you can put lineups together where you have good spacing but like in today's nba you can't have two non-shooters on the floor and westbrook for the most part he shot three of five from three tonight um which is you know he usually doesn't shoot more than one or two like he will actively step in he'll have a wide open three-point shot and step in two feet and shoot a wide open or not a wide open, a, a slightly contested jumper. And like, I mean, he, you know, he does make more jump shots than three point shots. So like, I'm not against it, but it's just annoying. Cause like the wizards actually move the ball pretty well. Yeah. That's the thing I noticed too. And when he, you know, the point of ball movement is to get a, a really good shot at the end of it. And when you have Westbrook with a wide open three and he just breaks the, the mold and like steps in for a contested jump shot, even if he makes it, it's so frustrating. And like, I, under, like, I can't complain about it because I mean, everyone has been asking him to stop shooting threes. And like, you can tell, especially going back to the Rockets last year, like, I mean, they literally designed their team for him to not shoot threes. <laughs> like they, they got so much spacing so he didn't have to shoot threes anymore. And, I mean, this Wizards team has pretty good spacing too, so, like, he doesn't have to shoot threes. But, I mean, if you get a wide-open three, he – you got to take it. But in my notes, I actually – the first line is Westbrook needs to stop shooting. And I said that because there's so many moments where he just hijacks the possession and does Westbrook things – and the problem is that he misses layups now. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're going to be Russell Westbrook and you're going to be this super athletic, explosive guard that is still one of the best passers in the league, like, if you're going to attack the rim, you got to make it. And he, I mean, he makes some of them, but like, he still he misses way more than he used to. And it's like, if you're going to play like that, you got to make layups. I mean, you got to make layups as anyone, but with his lack of outside shooting, he especially has to make them. 
And it's just the thing about Westbrook is like, I think he's, and we'll see how bad the Wizards end up being this year, but I think he's become one of those guards that's like, he's a floor raiser to the point where you're going to be somewhat competitive, but not good enough to actually either make the playoffs or be competitive in the playoffs, which I don't know. I think the Wizards sent a first round pick to Houston along with wall. And I don't know if it was protected or not, but I mean, you don't, if you're the wizards, you don't want someone like that. It's just, you know, at the same time though, it's tough. Cause you have Beal too. It's like, they're just stuck. I think they're stuck between what they were and what they're going to be. Um, I mean, they probably are going to trade Beal at some point, but like, it's just the, the thing with Westbrook is it's tough because he undoubtedly makes life easier for a lot of these guys. Like Thomas Bryant and him are really good together. Um, whether Thomas Bryant is rolling or shooting like a, a top of the key three pointer, I mean, they play pretty well together. So someone like that benefits a lot. Davis Bertans has got a lot of open threes because of Westbrook. So guys like that benefit, but at the same time, he just takes so many shots. Like he shot 18 shots tonight. I think he's, you know, that's probably in the range he should be. I was thinking if he's between 15 and 20 shots, it's probably okay. Anything more than that, though, you got to sound the alarm. So, okay. I don't know how much Bill Simmons you've read in your life, but there is an old Bill Simmons thing where he said, guys, either they either put things on the table and they can take them off, right? So, like, I think the example he used was Isaiah Thomas was one of the, like, um, OG Isaiah Thomas was one of the best, like, 18 to 20-foot jump shooters of all time, but you put him behind that stripe, and he was, te- he was the worst, one of the worst three-point shooters before Westbrook, right? Obviously, he wrote that in, like, 2009 before Russell Westbrook established himself. I think Westbrook, okay, I think he's an interesting case, right? Because he puts... I think at this point, what he's taking off the table is worth more than what he's putting on the table, right? And I think what he's putting on the table for you is you are getting elite rebounding and elite assisting. And what you're taking off the table is defensive positioning. He cost them the game against Philadelphia. Let's make like they win. I'm not sure they win the game, but his defensive miscue cost them the game. He went up. So the play was for those that didn't happen to see it. So Philadelphia had the ball and I don't remember. They ran some kind of pick and roll action with Simmons in the dunker spot. And this is important because Westbrook was guarding Simmons and Westbrook goes up to help the free throw line action at the, he goes up to the free throw line to help the pick and roll action. (laughs) And he leaves Simmons wide open under the basket. He could not have been more wide open for a dunk. And I think that was the points that put the wizards away for good. And it's like those kind of defensive mistakes and the terrible shot selection, he's just taking so much off the plate, off the table right now. It's honestly astonishing, but I still, as crazy as it sounds, Dylan, I can't quit Russell Westbrook. <laughs> I can't quit him. I love him too much. He's so much of a fun player. I know. Like, every frustrating possession is followed up by, like, a really exciting one. But, you know, one thing I can quit is – the Wizards broadcast team fixating every time he's close to a triple-double. Like, can we just please acknowledge that these don't matter anymore? Like, Russell Westbrook has ruined the triple-double. It, The first year when he won the MVP, you know, you could draw a line that, like, 
I think those those performances were absolutely helping the Thunder play better. But ever since that year, his triple doubles have done nothing for anyone. I mean, look at look at them right now. I mean, he had a triple double tonight. I think he's had a triple double. I believe he's had a triple double in every game they've played in their own five. Yeah. I mean, what else do you need? Like these, I mean, it, it's great that he goes out and gets rebounds, but does anyone want to mention that he probably gets a lot of these rebounds because he's completely out of defensive positioning? Like, Good point. can we, can we start tracking his rebounds with how many feet away he is from his defender on average or from his, the guy he's supposed to be defending? I would love to see those numbers. That's what we really should be putting on the stat sheet because, I mean, for God's sakes, I understand that, like, it's exciting for fans that he's getting numbers, but, like, it just – it doesn't mean anything. I'm so sick of hearing about it. Yeah, like, those stats and, like, triple doubles are almost meaningless, right? Just go and look at the number of guys who averaged, like, you know, however many assists last year, right? Like, Trey Young didn't – get a lot of rebounds, but he averaged like 30 and nine last year. Right. Luca averaged like 28, nine and eight. Like these numbers don't matter anymore. Like the stats are so inflated. Like you got to look at the pace numbers. Like imagine prime Derek Rose playing in this NBA. (laughs) Imagine how many points a game he would score just purely off of how many transition opportunities he would have. It would be ridiculous. He would probably average 30 points a game easily. And so I don't value numbers as much, right? Like Harden's to me are impressive because 34 is hard no matter what era you're in. And he's done it for three straight years while doing it like on insane efficiency. I think efficiency matters to me more than like counting stats. Yeah. I think that's, I'm at that point in my like, you know, basketball life now where I just look at the shooting percentages because if you're shooting a good percentage, despite, you know, having everything thrown at you, I think that's all that really matters to me anymore. And Westbrook's, so I have his actually basketball reference page pulled up. Let's let's check the uh, advanced numbers. So effective field goal percentage, they should have that on here. Let me, um, true shooting percentage. Ah, <laughs> so you want to know what his true shooting percentage is this year? <laughs> I would love to hear. 454, <laughs> 45.4%. Terrible, <laughs> terrible. And let's pull up his, cleaning the glass page for his actual effective field goal percentage, which was what I was looking for. It God, he it's just so infuriating to watch him just brick after brick after brick. <laughs> it's so shooting overall effective field goal percentage. 42.2 for this season. Now it's not counting tonight, but he's never been particularly efficient and as he's getting older, I just can't see that getting better. But I think his athleticism will keep him in the league for probably at least the duration of this contract. I can't see him falling out of the league like that. I, I just really can't see that. No. I mean, he's still got plenty of years left, like, just because of that. And, like, his passing is still so good. Um, But, I, I mean, the problems are just – it's the same thing every year now. And I mentioned his at-rim rim shooting – so he's shooting 54% at the rim this year, which is 47th percentile among point guards. If that says anything for you. Um, and like, it's just, if you know anything about cleaning the glass, like orange is good. Blue is bad. And it's just blue across the board. Mm-hmm. 
And a, a lot of, you know, like his three-point numbers have always been low. But even his mid-range, which is like, you know, I mean, he's doing fine this year, but his mid-range game has fallen off too. It's like, and that's why my notes say just stop shooting because you're not getting, like, that's not his best his best attribute at this point. Um, I could, I, real quick, I could see the shots start falling for him at some point, right? But I do think that Washington would not look so ugly if some of the shots for Westbrook were just falling right now because if they were falling, then obviously they'd be winning a lot more games, but it looks so ugly because Westbrook is just missing a lot of bunnies. Yeah, and you know, maybe it's like an early season conditioning thing. I don't know. But I mean, he he shot fine at the rim last year, like he was above sixty percent. Um, so you know, which is like above average. It's not great. Um, so I don't know. Maybe it's just an early season thing. But I mean, the thing about the Wizards is not the well. The thing is, so I want to say that. I want to give them props for being competitive in all the games they've played. Like they haven't lost any of these games until the, like the close to the end. Um, the problem is that they haven't played good teams aside from Philly. Like I don't think Orlando's terrible, but they're not good. And we know the bulls suck. So having four losses against those teams right there alone is not a great sign. Like, I mean, we knew they were going to put up a lot of points offensively, so like them putting up 130 tonight is not going to be crazy, but at the same time, they gave up 133. So I think that's that's going to be a lot of what it is. Um, before we move on, though, I do want to say Denny Avdia. So this is my comp, and as soon as I say it, you're going to agree with it. I think that his comp is a better shooting Dario Saric. Ah, I like it. The first game I watched him, I'm like, that's what he is. And that's a pretty good player. Yeah. Like if, if Dario was – and Dario is like an above-average shooter or like right about average. But if you have Dario Sarge shooting 40% from three, I think that's a pretty damn good player. So I like – like I like Avdia. I never saw him before. Like I think he was playing Croatia or something. Um, or Israel. Yeah, one of those. I think he was playing for Tel Aviv. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. So I never watched him. I didn't even watch highlights, so I didn't know anything about him. But, like, I mean, he's got really good size. Like, he's got good um, instincts. He's a pretty good passer, good cutter. He's been a decent shooter so far. So I like I like what I've seen. And, like, the thing about them is I don't know who I want them to start because I actually think, like, they're young wing kind of core I guess is like interesting but like no one's great you know like Bertans is a great shooter but you know you you probably well it probably is better for him to come off the bench I'll just say that like I understand why Bonga was being started because he's like one of their only good defensive options but on offense he's just not doing much for you um and having Hachimura back out there, he's not really proven himself as a good defensive player either. As you said, Troy Brown is interesting, but like I feel like I've seen him 
airball way too many threes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like I've seen him airball more threes than anyone in the league at this point. He had a really nice step back three, though, in one of these games. I don't remember which one, but he had, a, like, he, I think it was actually in the game that they played tonight, but he just kind of sized up the defender and just took not maybe like a step back three, but a sidestep three. And it's like, okay, Troy Brown, I see you. Yeah. He's got something in him. Like he's, he's pretty good at handling the ball. He, he's not a bad shooter. It's just, he just airballs some, I don't know why, but you know, there's, there's just a lot to be desired from that group, but there's intrigue as well. So from a future outlook, I think that, you know, that little group is, is going to be good, but right now, not really doing it for the Washington Wizards. I will also say before, like another one before we move on, is that Thomas Bryant's defense to me hasn't sucked. Now, has it been great? No. But I think a lot of his defensive issues are compounded by the fact that Westbrook and Ish Smith and Raul Neto are absolutely just terrible defenders. And I don't think that makes his life any easier. But, I mean, he's still, in spite of all that, I think he's been playing really well on defense and I hope that he can continue this uptick because I want his offensive potential is enticing to me just from what I've seen. And I'm not going to lie to you. This is the most Thomas Bryant I've ever seen, (laughs) but he's like really enticing from, you know, outside and inside. I think that he can make it work. And I think that this, this season to me, I don't think if he, if he sucks so much on defense, I don't think that'll be as much of an indictment on him as it will be on the team around him. And Avdia, I like him. When a rookie doesn't make mistakes, <laughs> like in their first week, that's how you know that they're going to be good. And he, Avdia has been, I think, from what I remember, he's been fouling a little much. But I mean, that's not like that's if that's the worst thing you do in your first week, then I think you're off to a, a great start, especially in 26 minutes a game. He's averaging three fouls a game. So I feel like that's pretty on point for a rookie in his first week. And I think he's been doing a great job. I I just think he's been doing a really good job. And I like the Sarich comp actually a lot. And I think he'll probably play more four as his career goes on. But right now he's the Wizards starting three. Anything else on the Wizards before we move on from this trash, trash team? No, but I, I do want to say that I, I definitely agree with the Bryant take. Like, I've really enjoyed watching him. I, I think he's a very versatile offensive player. Like, he he's a legitimate good three-point shooter and also, like, a fantastic roller. And he had a great dunk on somebody. I think it was that Bulls game. He dunked over Levine or something. But that dunk was nasty. Like, he he has he has some spring to him. You're not talking about the dunk he had in the Magic's basket, are you? No, that's not that is not the dunk I'm referring to. <laughs> Sorry, I had to slip it in. I oh god. I mean he had a really nasty alley oop from what Russ in this game too. Russ hit him on the roll it, while he was, you know, it hit him on an alley oop and one, and it was a really nice alley oop too. So I think Bryant to me is a, one of the more intriguing young centers in the league, personally. And I think if he can parlay this success into like 13 points a game, here's okay. One hole for the Wizards to fix before we move on to our favorite team from this week. The Wizards need better backup five production. I don't know if Mo Wagner being back is going to fix that, but Robin Lopez isn't cutting it anymore. He he can't play. I'm I'm sorry. He yeah. just he's not it. And they got the worst of the worst because they waited till forever to sign him. Right? It's like oh, Robin Lopez is our big free agent acquisition, <laughs> and it's like no, no, he's not. Robin Lopez just. 
like I love Robin Lopez. Okay, those Trailblazer teams are some of my favorites ever. You know, he was a bull, right? I just I can't do it anymore with Robin Lopez. He sucks, <laughs> and he shouldn't be out there anymore. Hey man, they did Jan Mahimi wrong, so they deserve this. <laughs> oh yes, our childhood interests are getting in the way of our professional analysis here. But <laughs> um, let's move. Let's go ahead and move on to the Suns. The Suns had themselves a pretty good week. They were three and one. They hold on scheduling results. So they beat the Mavericks, like we said on opening day. They lost to the Kings, one hundred three to one hundred six. But then they bounced back the next day and they beat them one sixteen to one hundred. And then they beat the Pelicans 111 to 86 in a game that did not even feel that close on December 29th. So Dylan Hughes, you said you had a McKill Bridges take. Let me hear it. Okay. So I think McHale Bridges floor is Chris Middleton. Wow. <laughs> I mean, this dude is fucking awesome. Like, I don't know how you can watch the Suns and not like I mean, I can just see the makings of an awesome score. Like, he has become very comfortable with handling the ball, and he's so freaking long. Like, he might have the longest arms in the, in the league. I mean, they are fucking long as hell. Like, he he made a play. I was watching the, the Kings game that they won earlier today, and he, he just cut through the lane, like, between three guys and just – did like a reverse layup that I don't think any other player in the league could do. I mean, he, his, he is, is just so good. And like his shooting is really getting to a point where it's like reliable. Cause I mean, he was a good shooter in college. And then for some reason he came into the league with like a hitch in his shot all of a sudden, I think he was just kind of overthinking things. But now, I mean, he's getting three-point shots off really easily. And, like, playing with Chris Paul and Devin Booker, he's getting a lot of open threes. And he's also had a ton of, like, mid-range pull-ups that he created on his own. I mean, it's going to take him a while to become an awesome offensive player on his own just because there's so much talent there. But, man, like, slowly but surely – I mean, just look at the career of, like, Kawhi and Paul George. Like, they didn't get to the point they're at now right off the bat, you know. It it really took them four, five, six years for them to really find their offensive game. And, like, I kind of think that's what Mikhail Bridges is going to end up. I I mean, we, we already know how good of a perimeter defender he is. And, like, once he starts building on top of these offensive gains he's gotten so far, I think the dude's going to be an absolute beast. I, you know, at first I recoiled when you said Chris Middleton, right? Because Chris Middleton is all NBA caliber, right? But then I thought about it and it's like, you're right. He is so like the off ball skills can't be taught, right? Like those are just instinctual and the way that he, he's so good off ball, right? And that can get you, if you're playing in the NBA and you're that good off ball, that can get you 10 easy points a game, right? And then if you add the off the dribble stuff, that can get you an extra 10 points a game, right? So I could see 20 points a game in his future. And he's such a great shooter. And he's going to get so many open looks this year because you're right. He's the fourth option. And when you're the fourth option, I mean, it is going to be a Kawhi Leonard in San Antonio situation where Kawhi Leonard was, I mean, who was ahead of him on that, on that pecking order? It was definitely, Duncan was always first, even until he retired. I don't care if Kawhi had led the team in points in scoring his last year. Tim Duncan was always first. Um, 
Then Tony would have been second. And then probably Manu would have been ahead of him when he first started. So, yeah, I mean, that's three guys, right? That I guess it's <laughs> – I can definitely see it. It's not implausible. He is such a fun, fun player. I, He is the captain of my favorite role players team. I think if you and I both drafted, like, a team from scratch – if I was drafting a team from scratch and I wanted, needed, like, I could, I drafted like two stars, right? Mikhail Bridges is my third pick. I don't feel uncomfortable saying that. I'd rather have Mikhail Bridges than just about like any other role player in the league because of everything you said. He's so good. He's so good off the ball. Like, that's the thing that stands out, right? When you just cut and when you know how to make the right cut. And he's going to benefit from that with, from playing with Chris Paul this year, too. That's going to be the benefit of, like, Rubio, you and I both agree, Rubio's a great passer. But Chris Paul's just different. <laughs> Chris Paul's one of the the best assist men of all time. And Rubio, I like him, but he's not that. And Booker's attention, and we'll talk about we have to talk about Booker because Booker is looking great already. Even if he's not averaging that many points. But I love the way he's playing. Man, Mikhail Bridges is just so special. And I, I could definitely see the the Middleton floor now that now that you mention it. And when you think about Middleton too. He didn't really get to this point of offensive success until like two or three years ago. Right. I mean, he's been in the league for quite a long time at this point. Like it happens at different levels for everyone. Like, I mean, look at campaign, for example, like just talking about that 2015 draft. I mean, we'll talk about him more in a little bit, I'm sure. But that dude sucked. And like watching him now, like he is fucking good. I mean, he has found his game and like, that's just how the NBA works sometimes. Like, it, it it doesn't just happen right away. Like, there's some guys like Luca, like John Morant, where they come out right of the gate and they're great. But some of these guys take time, especially if they, you know, they're more off-ball players. They don't get a ton of opportunities. It takes time to build into these players. But, like, I think the tools are there for Bridges to be a fucking awesome player in the future. Yeah, I mean – God, and especially his defense, too. I think he's probably already, as crazy as it is to say, one of the best wing defenders in the NBA. I mean, so who's better than Mikhail Bridges on the wing? Like, seriously. Kawhi, probably. (laughs) But Kawhi doesn't try every night. Who else is, like, in the conversation of being better? Like, probably Tatum and Brown, right? I'd say those two are probably better. Um, other than that, I really can't think of many wings better than him. Honestly, he's are would you be uncomfortable with me saying he's a top five wing defender in the NBA right now? Probably not. I mean, the thing is, like, when you want to talk about those guys like Kawhi, Paul George, they just don't try as much anymore because they have so much of an offensive load. And like, you know. It's kind of an unfair comparison, I'd say. Right. Um, because, you know, when you get to the playoffs, like, things change. But, um, I mean, he has the tools. Like, that dude is locked in every night. It's it's crazy how good he is. I, I love him, and I really didn't think of what you said before you said it. But now that I've put some, put some brain power into it, I could definitely see Mikhail Bridges – 
it's crazy how we've been talking about the Suns and the guy that we're talking about is again the fourth option, but he's like he genuinely stands out when you're watching them. Like it's not crazy that this is the direction we went in, but um, how do you feel? How do you feel about the rest of the team, Dylan Hughes? Well, before we get into the players that people actually want to hear about, um, Cam Johnson is like another off-ball guy. Yes. That is so good. Like, I am so happy they drafted him now because, you know, that draft night was interesting. Like, I mean, trading the sixth pick who – I can't even freaking remember the guy's name that went to Colbert. Culver who I liked, and I don't know how he's played this year, but he was terrible last year. But to be fair to him, they tried to make him their point guard, which was just a horrible experiment. Um, But I loved Culver. Like, I was really high coming out of him. And I'm like, if you're the Suns, you can't pass on a guy like that. But they end up getting Cam Johnson and Dario Saric, who is basically going to be their backup five now. But Cam Johnson, man, like him and Chris Paul together are so good. Because Cam Johnson is also a very good cutter, and he's a very good three-point shooter as well. And you know what I've noticed about him is he's actually been pretty good as a positional defender this year. So, like, there was a lot of times against the Kings where he was going up against Bagley and doing a pretty good job. So, and Bagley is a lot bigger than him. I mean, I think that was one of his downfalls coming out of college is he wasn't a great defender. But, I mean, he's been – He's been awesome. Like he's been a huge key to how they've played so far. He's I think he's dropped 20 points like twice already. I mean, he he has been so good. And I mean, their their wing rotation is just is crazy cuz Jay Crowder has been really good too. I mean, we've kind of seen the Miami Heat version of him. I mean, there's been some games where he's sucked, but I think it was the Kings game that I watched or no, it was the Pelicans game where he went off from 3. He had like three threes in the first few minutes of that game. I mean, the the offensive upside of this team is is incredible because of guys like that. They have so many off-ball pieces that are so good at cutting and shooting. I mean, Langston Galloway has been freaking awesome. Like, I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about the fact that Etwan Moore and Javon Carter have really not played much at all. Right. And that kind of that kind of says how good this team's playing right now. Because again, if you don't, if you haven't watched the Suns, you don't believe me. Campaign is amazing. Like, please watch them. Campaign. I kind of feel how I feel with him right now. How I felt about uh, Derek White last year, where you just watch him and it's like, oh, he figured it out. Like every time he has the ball, he knows what he wants to do. And I, it's the same thing with campaign. I mean, every three-point shot, it's a good look. He attacks the rim and is really has some really good finesse around the rim. I mean, I'm telling you, like, that bench is going to be a problem this year because they have a lot of depth and they have a lot of shooting. The only problem that they encounter, right, and Saric didn't play the first couple of games, but when Jalen Smith is out there and our friend Caleb Lynn loves Jalen Smith – Jalen Smith is not ready yet. Um, That guy, poor guy, in the Mavericks game, I do remember this. Luka was attacking the hell out of him, right? And Damian Jones really shouldn't be playing either. Um, Damian Jones sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to come out and say it. And Saric, to me, is a great backup five, right? But if he's not healthy, which 
can be frequent with Sarge, then they're going to have a problem at backup five, right? But other than that, they don't have many holes. Like, they're pretty rock solid, right? And Etwan Moore is your 11th man. <laughs> That's a great, like, Etwan Moore, I think, could still hang around. Like, Etwan Moore should have been playing more for New Orleans the last couple of years. If he can be your 11th man and just break glass in case of emergency, I think that's a great spot for Etwan Moore and for the Suns. And Frank Kaminsky can come off the bench and do some, like he was good in Phoenix last year. Like he didn't play in the bubble at all, but I thought Frank Kaminsky was pretty good during the regular season last year. And you just have all kinds of weapons, right? They can just attack you in so many different ways. Like you said, Langston Galloway. Langston Galloway has sucked in his other spots. He's been good for the Suns so far. I love Cam Johnson. Um, Booker, to me, I love the way he's playing. He hasn't been averaging as many points as he probably will for the rest of the season. But just he plays with such a freedom now that he has Chris Paul, right? Like, he knows he doesn't have to carry the whole burden. And that was kind of the problem with the Suns beforehand was that he was just literally carrying the whole burden. And now Chris Paul can come in and take some of those crunch time shots that Booker doesn't have to take, right? Like, because the defense is trying to take away Devin Booker. Well, now you're contending with Chris Paul, who is, you know, for all his foibles, right? And for all the, you know, oh, Chris Paul isn't clutch. He still is very good in crunch time. So I think that that's a great secondary option for them. And I think that the Suns are in a really, I think the Suns, I don't think it's unrealistic that they're in the top five in the West. I think that it's probably very likely if, you know, barring health. And let's let's talk about DeAndre Ayton because we didn't really talk about DeAndre Ayton, but he's been playing great so far from what I can tell, right? Like he maybe fouls a little too much still, but I mean, he's been really aggressive around the rim, really great offensive rebounding. I mean, I think he's going to be perfect for playing next to Chris Ball. Yeah. I think the only thing he needs to work on is his positioning. Like he's not great at getting deep in the paint yet. Like there are too many moments where he's like six feet away from the rim. He should be two, you know, because Chris Paul's going to get him, get him the ball when he's that low, but he, he's kind of struggled to get that far. I don't know if it's an aggression thing. Cause like, you know, he's got the size, but I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of turnaround jump shots that I think should be layups. And outside of that though, I do agree. I mean, he's, he's, he averages about 12 rebounds per game per game. And that's like, that's like his floor. I mean, he's, He's just such a monster that uh, I mean he's going to get rebounds easily on both ends of the floor, um, and you know he shot a three the other night, which we don't really see much, but I, I got excited about that because if he could put like two threes up a game, I think that would be amazing for them. I mean, because let's be let's be real here. And we talked about this a lot during the bubble. Crowder's kind of a fake shooter, right? <laughs> he's only really yeah. been good. Now I can say he's only really been good twice in his career because he was very good in Miami. But before he was only really good once in his career. And that was when he was with Boston in the year that they made whatever round that they made with Isaiah Thomas. Um, I still think that his defense at the four, I think Jay Crowder is a perfect modern NBA four, right? Like what I was talking about earlier with the Mavericks, I don't think that applies to Jay Crowder. And I think that he is perfect for today's NBA. I think like his size at the four, I think he's incredibly built for today's NBA. And I think that he's going to be, I think that he can propel the Suns to a lot of success because 
they need that size, right? And their their power forward rotation of him and Cam Johnson is unconventional, but they have size. And they're like you said, Cam Johnson's better as a positional defender and another guy. So okay. So so far we have four guys on the Alex Burr role player all-stars from from these three teams. I mean, not none from the Wizards, of course, but we have Dorian Finney Smith, Mikhail Bridges are the starters, and then Kleba and Kleba and Cam Johnson are on the bench. <laughs> Just incredible. And campaign, you're right. He's a lot better. Campaign to me, I always am thrown off. A because they traded him for my, one of my favorite players, Taj Gibson. That I'll always hold the grudge against campaign because he sucked for the Bulls. And then again, going back to the Jan Mahimi thing that you that you brought up, just childhood fandom thing. And then his shot is just so weird. <laughs> like, have you ever noticed how campaign just like turns his whole body when he's going to shoot? I don't know how he's not blocked more because that would be like a tell for me, but he must get it off super quick. I'll have to like examine his mechanics for. But like he turns his whole body to the side when he shoots. It's like, how are you not getting blocked more? <laughs> Well, I think I think it's just that he's getting wide open shots. And like you know what it's amazing to me, and this is a testament to Chris Paul, I think, but like this does not seem like a team that just put a superstar ball handler into their roster. Like it they have just played so seamlessly. And I, I just think and that's why coming into the season we were so excited about them. Because on paper, I mean you could see what has been shown in real life so far that you have two really good ball handlers in Booker and, and Paul, and then just a bunch of great cutters and shooters around them. And, I mean, I'm looking at their their averages right now. So, Booker averages 19 points, and the next two in line are Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges. And that just kind of speaks to how they've played so far because the guys that have, have eaten, so to speak, so far have been the guys that have moved around and shot. And, and Cam Johnson and Mikhail Bridges, as we've talked about, have been the two best at that. But if you really watch them, I it almost looks like Chris Paul doesn't even want to shoot. It's like he is so – he's not interested in shooting at all. I mean, he's moving the ball so much. He only shoots the ball when he really feels like he has to. Like he'll shoot the ball if he has it towards the end of the, the shot clock. Um, but otherwise, he's like actively trying to get rid of the ball. And it doesn't surprise me at all that he's like fourth on their points list. I mean, he's, he's averaging 10.5 shots so far a game, which would be a career low. I mean, he's obviously since, since leaving the Clippers, you know, his years in Houston and OKC um, he's, you know, he's kind of started to play that second fiddle role a little bit more, but I mean, right now it's, it's very apparent. And it's working so well for them because they don't need him to be that guy. Like they, they just need him to be a distributor, be the guy that you can rely on at the end of the shot clock to get a, you know, one of those elbow jumpers up and just let the guys around you work. I mean, like this is a team that is very active, very like most for the most part, very young. Um, But like everyone knows their role and it's been really fun to watch so far. So real quick tangent, the the last time, the second career, the second fewest attempts, field goal attempts Chris Paul had in his career was 2010-11. And I'm wondering why. And you, this roster is wild. Do you want to hear some of the names on this roster? It's it's funny, some of the names on this roster. So you got Trevor Ariza, <laughs> Jared Bayless, Marco Bellinelli, 
Patrick Ewing Jr. Oh. Aaron Gray. Willie Green, who is now an assistant coach on the Phoenix Suns. Um, I don't know who this man is. Jarrett Jack. Carl Landry. Who's <laughs> Jarrett Jack and Carl Landry played on the same team like five different times. They must have been like best friends or something. I feel like <laughs> they were on the same team at least three different times. Pops Mensabansu. Um, Emeka Okafor. Obviously, Chris Paul. Sasha Pavlovich. <laughs> Quincy Pondexter. Jason Smith. Peja Stoyakovich. Marcus Thornton and David West. Just an incredible roster full of names. You want to guess their, their record that year? 46 and 36. Chris Paul is incredible. Hey, man, David West was an all-star too, okay? I don't I don't want to I don't want to hear the the lack of respect on that man's name. Hey, Jimmy B, the uh coach of the um Jimmy B and Mike Malone, two assistant coaches on this team. Jimmy B of course is the head coach of the Charlotte Hornets. I I call him Jimmy B cuz that seems like a name <laughs> fitting of Borrego. Yeah. But, I mean that so real quick, one last thing I've noticed too is that the Suns have been kind of playing pretty slow. Like their pace is pretty slow. But I mean, again, the efficiency of it all. I think that they're going to be they're going to be a team that can hurt you like a jack of all trades team where they can just hurt you in 75 different ways. And I think that's going to really benefit their their team because they're going to they're going to hurt you like they're going to it's going to be death by a million paper cuts. That's going to be the Phoenix Suns this year. And the paper cuts can be Camp Johnson. It can be Mikhail Bridges. It can be Booker going off for 35. They don't have to beat you in any one way. And I think that's going to be really versatile when it comes to regular season success at the very least. It'll probably make them pretty versatile in the playoffs, too. Yeah, and you know another thing, and this kind of goes along with what I just talked about, about how energized they are. But again, very small sample size. But they are actually leading the league in defense right now and and points given up, or uh, defensive rating at least. And a lot of that, I mean, you can see Booker's more locked in. Obviously, Chris Paul is a huge addition with that. But Booker's more locked in. I, I think Booker's excited that he doesn't have to do everything and that there's some competence around him. And, you know, with Rubio, I mean, they got closer to that, but Chris Paul is just such a different level. And it just, you can just tell that this team really feels, is feeling itself. Like they, like they know, they know they have a lot in them. And like, I think when they get to the playoffs, man, like they're going to face one of those top dogs most likely in the first round or at the very least the second round if they get there. But whatever team that is, is going to have a problem because like this, this team has a lot of heart and they're not going to give up. And I like, I didn't think I'd fall more in love with them than I already was, but like after watching them this past couple weeks, man, it's, it's really exciting. Yeah. They're going to be, I mean, we're going to come, we're going to probably come back to the Suns at some point, but man, this is just an incredibly fun group of guys. Um, I think that just wraps about everything up that we want to do this week. I mean, unless you have anything else you want to bring up about the Washington Wizards, Dylan. <laughs> they suck, man. We said it. That's all there is to say. Definitive. Definitive by Dylan Hughes. Um, Official. That's that's going to be it for this week. Um, so we decided on the teams for next week. And the ki- the Kings somehow ended up being Dylan Hughes' unironic choice, which I respect. Although... He did make it seem a little ironic. 
And then, so we decided on the Kings, the Nets, and who was the bad team that we decided on again? Remind me, because I totally forgot the bad team. Uh, the it was Pelicans. the Pelicans. It was the Pelicans. That's right. So the Pelicans, we think are both going to be, we both think are going to be really shitty. So at least we'll get to watch Zion. Zion and Brandon Ingram. Now I'll have to watch Eric Bledsoe too, but mm. um, Dylan Hughes, one more time, name of the book. So that way we have that promoted on both ends. From one young soul to another, available in paperback or ebook, whatever works best for you. And okay, okay, real quick, Dylan. Normally, I, you know, I try to be friendly on these podcasts. You know, maybe I maybe I call a player a bum. I, I'm not I'm not Caleb Lynn. I don't call him a bum, but I, I do I do say a player sucks sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to threaten violence to you, okay? If you don't buy Dylan Hughes's book, I'm going to find you and come hurt you, okay? I, I'm promising an act of violence on the Alex and Dylan basketball power hour. Okay. I, you need to buy Dylan Hughes's book or I'm coming to your house and I'm sticking my cats on you. End of story. End of story. Dylan Hughes. Is, is this an acceptable threat? You know, I don't promote violence, but um, in this case, I will accept your promotion of violence. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And, the other stuff on the Running Hook Network, you got to check it out. Um, Lynn Sanity, NFL playoffs are approaching. Dylan Hughes, I understand that you may or may not be a part of the Lynn Sanity plans for the future. Yes, I am. And I'm really hoping I can discuss the Colts. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what the, the NFL gods have in store for us. Well, here's the hoping that the Colts win. We we spent about a 15 minutes talking about NFL before our show. We we go all over the place for our show. Whenever we start a Patreon for this, you're the um the Alex and Dylan pre-show recordings is definitely going to be part of the going to be part of the Patreon. Um, so Lynn Sanity, you got to check that out. And plus, they should have a basketball college basketball show out soon. They've been doing every two weeks, and I think it's been two weeks since the last one. I'll expect a Lynn Sanity in my inbox soon. Um, Circle City Cinema. They talked about Wonder Woman 1984 and Bank. Now, Wonder Woman 1984, Dylan, I don't know if, if you go out of your way to watch superhero movies, but I would just avoid that one. Um, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. So I'm sure Zach and Zach and Brett will rip it to shreds. Um, Triple Option Pass. They should, Ryan's out of town this week, but hopefully they'll have an episode next week recapping all of the bowl action and previewing Clemson versus Alabama because let's face it. Notre Dame and Ohio State are going to get shit housed. I mean, I this is okay. Here's the thing about Ohio State, and you know we we're, we're going pretty long, but Ohio State beat Indiana by seven. There's no way they can beat Clemson. It's no way. Here's my take on Ohio State because I don't watch college football. I think it sucks. I watch Purdue, and then I get my heart broken because they suck every year, so I stop. Um, I will watch these bowl, these final or the, I don't really watch the bowl games. I usually just watch like the, the four best teams, the playoff, but let me just say this. And this is just an, another ego pump for me. Cause if we, you know, you can't get enough of that, but listen, I've watched Justin Fields play two games. I thought he sucked in both of them. I'm like, I don't see it. Everyone said he's going to be the second pick. I don't see it. All of a sudden, I'm seeing draft boards. You're like, yeah, he's probably the seventh or eighth best player. I mean, come on. Like, I don't know what I'm saying, you know, whether I'm trying to say I'm a great college football expert or what. What but you're I saying the- is 
I don't understand how he got so hyped up. I watched two games of him thinks he sucks, and all of a sudden everyone else thinks he sucks. Like what? What were we missing this whole time? I don't get it. Okay, Dylan, this is this is what I'm getting from you. Okay, this is what I'm getting from you. What I'm getting from you is that whoever's listening to this needs to not hire you as a basketball scout. Needs to hire you as a football scout. That that's what I'm getting from you. Listen, man, I'll be a consultant. Okay, you don't have to pay me that much. Just like you know, fifty thousand a year. Just have me watch a few games. If I think he sucks, he sucks. If I don't, he doesn't. I mean, I will. I will say in my back in my history book, I liked Nick Foles coming out of college, and he's a Super Bowl champion. So there you go. I mean, it was it was a pretty bumpy road there, Dylan. It, it was, but that, I don't know if Nick Foles is the one you'd want to brag about. Listen, without the bumpy road, would he become the Super Bowl champion? Is I don't think so. I really don't. <laughs> then last show, Battleground. Um, go check that out. Go check out. Go subscribe to Dylan's uh, Substack. Right, it's a Substack Heavy Pockets. Yes. Go subscribe to that. It's great, great business insight. And I think we covered all our bases, including Dylan's Nick Foles discovery. I mean, what what would the world have done without you, Dylan Hughes? You know, maybe I need to make a, a newsletter of, of quarterback scouting. I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll watch two games of every quarterback, say what I think, and that's the truth right there. So, and on, that note, and on that note, this concludes the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Go check us out. Go buy Dylan's book, goddammit. See you next week. Yeah.